have you ever had to make a big decision lately? Have you made some pretty big decisions? I imagine between the time of, uh, of March, the end of March, till now, you've had to make some pretty important decisions. I would think that uh, during those days, your, re your regular routine has not only been interrupted, but pretty much obliterated, right? Uh, so in navigating these restricted and confined days, you probably, probably have had to make some big decisions that you hoped were wise. Uh, you know, the education of your children, as far as, you know, schools are closing, schools are only doing online, how are we going to do that, what's the wise way of, of getting our kids involved with the online teaching, uh, if your kids are really small and little, um, how do we get them into a daycare, what do we do with, with preschool or kindergarten, they really need face-to-face -face teaching, how is this going to happen, what will we do, maybe it's handling of your finances, you haven't worked for a while possibly, maybe you've been laid off, Maybe uh, finances haven't been that great, and so you got to make some big decisions on what to do there. Um, maybe uh, attending the uh, the attending of certain critical and important events, you've had to make some tough decisions there on attending maybe a wedding or a, a family gathering or or whatever else. And there's some tough decisions made there, and you're trusting that you're hoping that it would be a wise decision that you're making. So, you know, wisdom can be very helpful and very valuable when we have to make those kind of decisions. Um, wisdom can be very helpful, such as uh, in the case of this new pastor's family who was given a, a pie baked by a member of the congregation who was a poor cook. The pie was not fit to eat, so the family threw it in the garbage. Now, uh, this has no bearing as far as personal experience, okay? There's no personal experience here on this. But anyway, so now the pastor needed wisdom. How could he thank the lady at the same time be truthful? Because they threw her pie into the garbage. They couldn't eat it. After a, a lot of thought and hopefully prayer, he sent a note which said this. He said, thank you for being so kind and thoughtful. I can assure you that a pie like yours never lasts long at our house. Wisdom can be very helpful, very helpful. Wisdom can be very valuable, too. Uh, one morning, a young new bank president made, made an appointment with his predecessor to seek some wise advice. And he began like this. He said, Sir, as you well know, I lack a great deal of the qualifications you already have for this job. You have been very successful as president of this bank, and I wondered if you would be kind enough to share with me some of the insights you have gained from your years here that have been the keys to your success. The older man replied, young man, two words, good decisions. And then the young man responded, well, thank you very much, sir, but how does one come to know which is the good decision? And the older man replied, one word, young man, experience. And then the young man said, well, but, but how does one get experience? And the old man then finally replied, he said, two words, young man, bad decisions. So um, I've heard that experience comes from what we have done, while wisdom comes from what we have done badly. <laughs> You've made uh bad decisions and you remembered that you're not going to do that again and uh, you you got you were wiser for it 
and you're able to make better decisions after that. Wisdom can be very valuable. Now, uh, certainly Moses, the author of this Psalm 90 that we're going to be looking at today, knew about bad decisions. He had made his share of them during his 40 years in the palace, his 40 years as a shepherd of the, in the desert, and now, and now in his 40 years of leading Israel in the wilderness. Now, maybe that's why he was so aware for the need uh, of the need for wisdom. Now we're gonna we're gonna take a look at this psalm, Psalm 90, to gain some perspective on the value of wisdom. We'll hear from the teacher in Ecclesiastes, who has some insight on life as it pertains to wisdom, and we'll conclude with some New Testament advice about wisdom from James. Now I trust that we will learn from all these guys about the importance of wisdom, what it is, and how to get it. So let's just dive right on in with this. We're going we're gonna to take this psalm as we go. We're not going to read it all at, at once. We're just going to take it right along, all, all along the way as we uh, uh, look at this. So as Moses contemplates life, he's looking at life right now, and he then begins with, in the first two verses of Psalm 90, a profession of faith. A profession of faith. He writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, the word Lord is a Hebrew word celebrating God's majestic authority and acknowledging his sovereignty. So Moses is celebrating God as his supreme master. A good place to start. <laughs> Now, it's important to recognize Moses' situation as he wrote this profession. He was in the wilderness. He wasn't in the halls of Pharaoh. No longer in the comfort of the safe, routine life of a shepherd. But he was in the wilderness. He was leading the tribes of Israel as they were taking up their tents, marching along with no settled dwelling place. So he lifted his eyes above and said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Recalling their history, he saw that, that God had always been home to Israel, generation after generation. And he alone had been their, their house, their place of comfort and security. And that's where Moses began. And throughout the centuries, philosophers and, and others have looked at life and tried to draw conclusions about God. Moses looked at God and drew conclusions about life. Now, you see, God is the one we have to deal with, so we better start there. H.G. Wells once said, If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. <laughs> or the Apostle Paul professed the same faith in Colossians chapter 1 as well as in chapter 3. He said, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything we might have the supremacy. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Jesus Christ is the one we have to deal with. <laughs> so as we contemplate life, this is the profession of faith that we need to start with. We begin with God and Jesus Christ and then draw conclusions about life. 
Now, too many times people get it the other way around. We look at life and then in the circumstances around us and draw conclusions about God. God doesn't seem to be very loving. Look at all the violence and racial injustice in our country. God doesn't seem to be very powerful. Look at how long this virus has been around. When we look at all the circumstances around us and then draw a conclusion about God, we're going the wrong direction. When we begin with God in Jesus, knowing that God is good, knowing that he wants the best for us, knowing that he is our comfort and our peace and our security, then we draw a more accurate conclusion about life. So because of his profession of faith, Moses then could proceed to the next thing, an acknowledgement of facts in verses 3 through 10. He acknowledges some facts here. Moses highlights two facts in particular. First, he acknowledges the brevity of life or how short life is. From Numbers chapter 20, we, we know that Miriam and Aaron have died. Moses knows he soon will die and without entering the land of promise. So Moses summarizes human life in verses 3 through 6. He says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the, mor of the morning. In the morning it, is, it, it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. So our lives are limited by the swiftness of time. Isn't it true that the older we get, the more we, wa we, wander, uh, we wonder where the time went? We wonder what, you know, time flies. Weren't our kids just little guys, little girls? sticking around and and didn't they just start school now they're out of college working starting their own families when we get older we look back and we wonder where the time went psychologists have said that the primary subconscious concerns of the person over 50 is preoccupation with his or her own death uh, i'm over 50. <laughs> i don't know if that's uh, uh preoccupying my my thoughts right now but um, maybe those of you who are beyond 50 and moving older, maybe that comes to your mind more often. You know, we don't always talk about it or constantly think about it, but it's always in the background of our consciousness. And many people in their, in their mid-30s to mid-40s go through what we would call a midlife crisis. They realize time is flying by and want somehow to maybe slow it down or maybe to speed up what they're doing so they can, they can accomplish more with the time they have. They're beginning to deal with the fact that they may not have time to accomplish all they had dreamed and, and envisioned for their lives. So you get to that point and, and you try to speed things up or slow down time. <laughs> so what are we doing with our lives in light of its brevity, in light of how short it is? What are we doing with our lives? Are we being selfish? and see what we can get out of it? Or are we doing some things for other people? Are we seeing what we can, how God can be using us and be a blessing to other people? I'll talk about the legacy and, and that later on here in this message. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. But what are you doing uh, with your life? What are you doing with your life as short as, as it is? 
Then the, the second fact Moses acknowledges here is the wrath of God. <laughs> Verses 7 through 10. We are consumed, he says, by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities above, uh, before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Well, the background for Moses is not only his own sin, but the fall of humankind that he wrote about in Genesis. When we begin with God, we see our true condition through his eyes. And so Moses continues in verse 7, that Israel has been consumed by your anger. The root of the noun anger, the word anger, the root of that is nose. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And so when God is angry, he snorts like a wild horse. And you can kind of picture that as the horse snorts and is angry. That's the picture here that we get with uh, uh, being consumed by your anger. And then Moses continues, he says, we are terrified by your indignation. Um, this terror is Israel's response to the impending judgment of God. It's coming. And Moses is acknowledging that our lives are limited by sin. This is exactly uh, the lament of, of the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, uh, the teacher talks about this in Ecclesiastes. He says, Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. You know, one of these days, God will, because of our sin, put an end to our time as we know it. Our calendars will be frozen. Our, our social media accounts will stop being updated. Our future plans will be unfulfilled. Now, like verse 10 says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Is it any wonder Moses needed wisdom? Is it any wonder we need wisdom? So we look to Moses and the, and the prayers he prayed for wisdom. Moses sought God's perspective in these prayers. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me in this situation here we're going to be looking at, it kind of reminds me of the TV show Let's Make a Deal. You've probably seen that show. Some of you haven't, but it's where contestants need to choose what's behind door number one or door number two or door number three. And if only they knew what was behind the door, it would make their choice easier. And verse 11 says, if only we knew the power of your anger. <laughs> it would make our choice easier, wouldn't it? Since we don't know what's behind the next door in our lives, we need wisdom. So Moses prays. And he prays this in verse 12. He says, teach us. That's the first thing he prays. Teach us. He says, teach us to number our, way, our, our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, God, because you are wisdom. That's what Moses is saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. God is our wisdom. 
we need to go to him. And Moses understood the importance of living life to the fullest each day. It means valuing the time we do we do have by using it for eternal purposes. Teach us to number our days. We can't apply wisdom to our hearts like Moses prays without considering each day uh, as our possible last day. What would you be doing if this were your last day? Maybe right after this message, you'd probably go out and do something that you couldn't do before or if this were your last day. You'd, you'd put some good thought to it. Now, the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us that God has created time. And in, in, in doing so, he, order, he orders certain parts, certain durations of our time. Uh, there are times for birth and there's times for death. Uh, there's times for planting and for, and for picking, for weeping and for laughing. We don't get to choose when they occur, uh, uh, when, when they happen. God does. God chooses those times. And there's a divine rhythm to life, which is under the control of God. And since we can't control it, those events, we need to trust God for them. As the teacher of Ecclesiastes said in verse 11, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything God does, everything God plants, works for our good. As the Apostle Paul later wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We trust God to bless us through the activities we don't plan, and then prayerfully plan the rest of our time opening the door for him to bless us through the activities we do plan. So it's a process. And there's some wisdom that is needed in all that. As a poet has penned, he said, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to say just when the hands will stop, at late or early hour. Now is the only time we own to do his precious will. Do not wait until tomorrow, for the clock may then be still. Then we have Moses' second petition for wisdom. As he's praying, teach us, he also prays, satisfy us. In verses 13 through 16 of Psalm 90, he says, Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on uh, on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have uh, have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. See, our days are limited by brevity and by God's wrath. But remember that God is our dwelling place. He's our dwelling place. We live under his covenant of love where we can still be satisfied. A guy by the name of Mark Herringer was a young businessman when a freak accident changed his life. He was shoveling snow out of his driveway, and his wife asked him to watch their two-year-old daughter while she moved the car. Now, maybe some of you are already ahead of me on this and cringing right now. As the car backed out, Mark and his, his wife were plunged into the worst nightmare a parent can imagine. Their toddler was crushed beneath the wheels of the car, and she died in his arms. Now, initially, the grief was so deep that Mark had to ask God to help him breathe, to help him to eat, to to get dressed, and to move about the house. 
Slowly over time, Mark felt God working in his life to bring healing, bring restoration of joy, and a new purpose in life. Eventually, Mark left the business world to enter seminary, and he became a pastor, where he uses his own devastating experiences as a connection with others who are lost in their suffering. They want to know this Jesus, this God who enters our pain. And out of suffering has come endurance and character and hope, not only for the Herringers, but for many people as well. And Mark says this about all these things. He says, sometimes people scoff at the Bible saying that God can cause good to emerge from our plan, or excuse me, our pain, if we run toward him instead of away from him. But I've watched it happen in my own life, he says. I've experienced God's goodness through deep pain, and no skeptic can dis- dispute that. The God whom the skeptic denies is the same God who held our hands in the deep, dark places, who strengthened our marriage, who deepened our faith, who increased our reliance on Him, who gave us two more children, and who infused our lives with new purpose and meaning so that we can make a difference to others. Amazing. Amazing. He is the God who enters our pain to bring good to our situation and glory to Himself, of course. And Moses prays for God to satisfy since He is our forgiveness. In verse 13, let the Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 also echoes this as well. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Forgiveness. Moses prays for God to satisfy, since he is our forgiveness. He is, God is also our stability, as we see in verse 4 of Psalm 90, our stability throughout our days. Another psalm, Psalm 73, verse 26, also echoes this, this thought. My flesh, it says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he is our stability throughout our days. Moses prays for God to satisfy since he is also our renewal, our renewal in verse 15 of Psalm 90. And then also Romans 6 Verses 4 and 5 echo this sentiment as well. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be be united with him in a resurrection like his. So renewal. He is our renewal. He's our forgiveness. God is our stability. God is our renewal. So Moses prayed for God to satisfy. Moses then prayed a third thing in this. He, his third peti- petition in this is establish us. Moses prayed to establish us in verse 17. Uh, in verse 17, it talks about that. Now, Ecclesiastes comments in chapter 3, verse 22, says, So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see uh, him to see what is after him? And then in contrast, in verse 17, where Moses prays the prayer to establish us, he says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now there's two things that each of us chooses to leave behind. We either leave memories 
or we leave a legacy. Now, God has given the mind of Christ to those who have, have accepted his Son as their Savior. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in us, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks about. And in some mysterious way, we now have a capacity for divine wisdom that no Ph.D. degree or natural experience could ever provide. Having the mind of Christ enables us to see life increasingly from God's perspective. So we can leave a, a God-blessed legacy if we are conscientious about what we plan and what we do. Remember the fool in Jesus' uh, parable who wanted to build bigger and better barns to store his surplus crops so he could settle down and take it easy? He wanted to create memories. <laughs> but Jesus said of him in Luke chapter 12, he said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus wanted him wanted him to leave a legacy. We can leave a legacy by choosing to, to, to do all we do for the glory of God. So ask yourself these questions to kind of figure out where you're at if you're leaving a, a memory or a legacy. How does what I'm considering do good? How does what I'm considering do good? How does it benefit those who love me, who look up to me, and who depend on me? How does this benefit the cause of Christ? What are the consequences of not doing this? Will anyone be harmed? What are the consequences, consequences of doing this? Who will be helped? Tomorrow will I regret not having done this? Tomorrow will I be glad I did this? Some, some good key questions to help you guide yourself in the decision process of making a wise decision on leaving that legacy above leaving just memories. Recently, I was listening to a podcast from Andy Stanley. I do that every now and then. He, he helps uh, me see some things in different perspectives. And uh, he was speaking about a friend of his who just passed away this last January. His name was Reggie Campbell. And Reggie Campbell was the kind of guy that made plans and, and was very meticulous about things. And the couple days before he passed away, Andy was able to be there and, and visit with him. As he came into the room, he was uh, in there and he saw a dry erase board there. It had a list of, of uh, like goals that you would maybe list out for life goals. And he thought, oh, is that something uh, that, that maybe Reggie had done earlier in life? And these were his goals that he was hoping to be able to accomplish before he was to pass away. Um, some of us make a list of life goals like that in order to do life well. But this wasn't what Reggie had done. What Reggie did is he had, had a list of finish well goals. He wanted to finish well. And so in those, those goals that he had, uh, I want to share with you as well, um, what Andy shared in that podcast about his friend Reggie Campbell. The list of finishing well. Uh, there are six of them. He said, number one was, I will walk with Jesus every day. I will walk with Jesus every day. Now remember, this is a guy who had uh, focus, but also knew that his days were numbered. He wasn't long for this life. But he would walk with Jesus every day. Even if Jesus didn't heal him, he would still trust and walk with Jesus every day. Number two, 
that he listed there. I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. He was going to make sure that each day was uh, done to the fullest. He was going to be thankful for whatever that day held, no matter if it was good or bad. And then number three, I will bless my family with words, pictures, and videos. He wanted to be sure that uh, uh, his grandchildren knew about Grandpa. He wanted to be sure that he could. He, they knew what he looked like, knew what he sounded like, what he said, all these different things. So he made sure that he would bless his family with words, pictures, and videos. Number four that he listed on there, I will invest in my guys for their good, God's glory, and not mine. You see, Reggie had a, a small group of, of men that he was gathering and he led. And he wanted to make sure that he led those, those guys for their good and for God's glory, not Reggie's glory. So he wanted to make sure he, he was mentoring in, the, in a correct way. And then number five, he said, I will let people love on me. <laughs> I will let people love on me. You see, uh, in times of sickness and, and situations like that, people will bring casseroles, bring food, or come by and bring a card. Somehow they just wanted to love on his family, he and his family. And so uh, to not let pride get in the way, he was wanting to make sure that people were able to care for them. So he would let people love on, on, on him and his family. And then the sixth one here uh, was one that was pretty important. And I think that we can take to, to light as well too. I will not give up and run out the clock. I will not give up and run out the clock. Basically, I will lean in instead of sit it out. As, as time goes on and it doesn't look any better, you're not gonna give up. You're gonna keep on going. Keep on trusting God. Keep on moving forward, knowing that God's going to use whatever it is in your life right now uh, for His glory and His good and, and, and for your betterment as well. I will not give up and run out the clock. Um, I think, uh, and then, then at the end of this, then Andy Stanley said, so this is the prayer he mentioned. This is the prayer that he encouraged everyone to be able to be praying. And I think it's a good one for us as well, too. He said, basically, this is the prayer. God, use this until you choose to remove this. God, use this until you choose to remove this. And I think that is a wise prayer. <laughs> I think it's a very wise prayer. And a wise way of helping us leave a legacy instead of just memories. Especially as Reggie Campbell was working on those, those, the list of six things. Be able to leave a legacy. And so whatever trouble comes our way, whatever trials come our way, that we would pray that God would use this until he chooses to remove this. I don't know what's in your life. And I, I imagine it, you know, COVID-19 is on top of your list. There are probably other troubles and situations that are in, on your heart right now. But whatever it is, I think your prayer should be, God, use this, whatever this is, use this until you choose to remove this. Um, Reggie Campbell chose to do all he did for the glory of God and leaving a legacy behind. And I think now is the time for us as well. Now is the time. Now is the time to be done with lesser things and give our heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Now is the time to stop worrying and start trusting God. Now is the time to bring, bring our children and our, our, our young people into the presence of God. Now is the time to rescue the perishing and pick up the fallen. Be there. Now is the time to stop looking for better bait and just start fishing. Be fishers of men. 
Now is the time to stop trying to find better soil and just start sowing seed. Now is the time to stop talking about about prayer and start praying. Now is the time to stop looking for excuses and start making some commitments. Now is the time to stop playing at Christianity and start fully committing to following Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, be one. Now is the time to stop finding ways to avoid Jesus and instead invite him into your time commitments. Let him be part of your whole life, every aspect of your life. Don't put off until some time when you should do what, what you should do today. It, it really is an issue of, of time. You will always create a memory or a legacy by what you do in the present moment. All you know is that you have this moment today. <laughs> and that's all you need for the opportunity to make a difference. That's why you need wisdom. So how do you gain the wisdom you need? How do you do it? I've heard it said that wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. (laughs) So quick to listen, slow to speak. I've also heard too that wisdom is not having all the answers. Wisdom is knowing what you don't know and having the humility to ask someone who does. Wisdom is not having all the answers. Wisdom is knowing what you don't know and having the humility to ask someone who does. Basically, realize what you don't know and ask someone who does know. (laughs) Uh, That's wisdom. But James told us pretty plainly uh, in chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 5, who that someone is we need to be asking. In verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We need to go to God. We need to ask Him. Are you in need of wisdom? God's got some to share with you. (laughs) Just ask Him. Just ask Him. Well, instead of Brianna and Maddie coming back and sharing one more song, I thought I would share with you a familiar hymn that was actually written from the first five verses of, of Psalm 90 that we're looking at. In 1714, Queen Anne of England lay dying and she had no son or daughter to succeed her. Who who would be the new ruler? All of Britain was really concerned about this. Isaac Watts had reason to worry. His father had been imprisoned under the previous regime because his views didn't please the ruling family. And as a young child, Isaac had been carried by his mother to visit his father in jail. And Queen Anne... Uh, had brought a a new tolerance and had given freedom to Isaac's father. But now, now what? Now what? Isaac Watts turned to Psalm 90 for his answers, and he wrote a hymn about time. God stands above time, and in him all our anxieties can be laid to rest. When the events of the day bring worry and concern, the God of the ages remains our eternal refuge. No matter how much COVID-19 rages out there, no matter how many people rage because of COVID-19, no matter how many people are raging through the riots and and all those things going on, uh, no matter what goes on out in that world today, whatever those events bring, the worry and concern, the God of ages remains our eternal refuge. Listen to what Isaac Watts penned in this hymn. He said, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. 
our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Beneath the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame, from everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. A thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly, forgotten, as a dream, as a dream dies at the opening day. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guide while troubles last and our eternal home. A great hymn to remind us once again, God is in control of this. He is the one we go to. He is the wisdom we need these days. Go to him first. Trust in him. Cling to him. He will help. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your message today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've brought to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us put into action what we've heard today. Lord, if there's those who are here today listening and watching that still have yet to trust in you for their, as their Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision today in a prayer that is so simple of basically, God, forgive me. That is it. God, forgive me. And Lord, I pray that you would come into their heart and bring full assurance in their heart that they now are a child of God and they have been forgiven. Lord, I pray that you'd also, too, bring peace and rest to your children of God, those who trust in you as Savior. And Lord, I pray that we would always put our trust in you, no matter what goes on, looking down the road in November when the elections happen, whoever's our president to come, whatever's going to happen down the road, Lord, you are still in control. You are our refuge. And I pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of that. And Lord, I pray also too that whatever these days hold, that we would be ready to hold on to you, the rock of our salvation. Lord, thank you that we can go to you and we can trust in you. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with this benediction found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.